We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Hello, welcome to We the Deplorables. I am your host, Sherry Wilson. This is the place for freedom, love of country, aka patriotism, and a place to discuss things, hopefully without the fear of being canceled. Which, by the way, I save all of these episodes because you just never know when someone's going to try to silence you. And I want to discuss today Freemasonry and the Founding Fathers. Now, the reason I wanted to dive into this topic is because basically there's like several questions that we need to answer because it will impact how we view uh, the nation as a whole. One of them is, did Freemasonry have a significant impact in founding America? If you believe that America was not founded upon Christian principles or as a Christian nation, then you're not going to fight for her. And you may not be involved in the political process or possess a sense of patriotism, which patriotism for the founding fathers was considered godly because anybody that's a citizen of their nation should love their nation because God loves nations. And uh, so a sense of patriotism is important. Uh, will a, a person who believes that America was not founded upon Christian principles mourn her demise or even fight to protect her? Uh, if you believe that America began as evil, why would you want to protect something that at its core is considered wicked? But if you know and have some questions uh, answered on this topic and its impact that we're going to discuss today, then it is my hope that you will see that America was God's idea, is still God's idea, and he wants to restore her to his original intent. But first, before I dive into the history of Freemasonry and the founding of this country, let me be very plain. Freemasonry is hostile and heretical to Christianity. In fact, the higher in degree you go, you have to renounce any affiliation to Jesus, Christianity, and the Bible. So it's my belief that it is demonic and it is also satanic. Now, it is true, or, or I'm sorry, let me back up. Is it true? Not it is, but is it true? Uh, and this is our second question, that the overwhelming majority of founding fathers were Masonic and that much of our government seals, symbols, etc. were Masonic in nature. So we're going to tackle that. Third, 
If number one and two are accurate, then how can America be a Christian nation, even though numerous documents, writings, and Supreme Court rulings from the very beginning of this country say that we are a Christian nation? In fact, many of the founding fathers uh, voiced their opinion that our nation would not survive without religion, without moral uh, absolutes and codes, which we're seeing that being the case right now here in 2022. Okay, so let me give a background first of Freemasonry. The Scottish branch of Freemasonry called Scottish Rite, R-I-T-E, is famous. So you've got Shrine Burn Centers, Crippled Children's Hospitals, Learning Centers, the Shriners, of course, These are all just a tiny part of the Scottish Rite, but definitely well-known. American Freemasonry is actually a massive organization with a rigid organized infrastructure, degree rituals, religious and philosophical teachings, and then prominent and visible members like judges, elected officials, educators, financiers, etc., American Freemason origins date back to around 1730 in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, reaching a peak in 1959 with over 4 million as members at that point. Uh, Men, uh, because you can only, I mean, I don't know if they're politically correct yet, but as of, you know, my understanding, only men were allowed uh, to be in Freemasonry. There was another branch that was for women. So today it's about half those members, and then many of those members are inactive. Now, we do know of politicians uh, that are and have been Masonic members, but as far as its influence in politics, it's more covert versus overt. Now, two positions that Freemasonry has influence in the political realm is the, uh, and I put air quotes, separation of church and state in its current interpretation versus the founding fathers' ideas about it, and then two, the replacement of religiously affiliated schools with secular schools. So you can see that their opinions and influence are on those, like two major things that have set the course of uh, Supreme Court decisions and the education of our children. The separation of church and state in a modern interpretation is that God should not be involved in anything, in any politics, any state or federal uh, you know, government institution, whether it's education, the courts, etc. But the original intent of separation of church and state from the founding fathers is clearly written in a letter, I believe Jess Jefferson wrote to the a Baptist organization that was concerned uh, about the Constitution and how it might try to silence uh, freedom of worship. And he said, no, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights actually build a wall of separation of church and state to protect churches, Christians, from the state shutting them down, the federal government shutting them down and persecuting them or silencing them. And it's funny how you get liberal justices that decide to reinterpret uh, that statement based in their own desires, not the original intent of the founding fathers. So whenever you're studying the founding documents, you need to read the Federalist Papers, you need to read the founding fathers' own words, because they are the ones that will interpret what they meant, not scholars who are far removed from that process and even the thought of the members of that time. 
Uh, so the God that's recognized in masonry is whatever God the mason recognizes. So it can be the Christian's God, paganism, Islam, etc. So to avoid contra- uh, controversy, they all fall under G-A-O-T-U, the great architect of the universe. And they have secret handshakes, symbols, and signals. Now, Masons trace their roots back to Europe, where Masons were craftsmen who traveled across Europe over a thousand years ago, building cathedrals, abbeys, castles, and other stone buildings. Then it was pretty much like a union, and local Masons would belong to a local guild. A Freemason was a free agent, not part of the Masonic Union. Early Masons had third degrees. There were novices who were called entered apprentices. And then after, after several years of work in stone masonry, they were then fellow crafts. And then once they mastered the trade, they were called master masons. Now, during the time when masons practice on the actual trade of working with stone, their conduct was governed by the old York constitutions of 926 AD and then by the old charges of 938 AD. These regulations focused on four areas— God and religion, which was kind of important because they were building cathedrals, and most nations at that point had a state-established religion, which, by the way, is what the wall of separation and church and, of church and state was to prevent, that there'd be a state-sponsored religion like our founding fathers saw in England and even in some of the colonies, and they didn't like it, and they didn't want you to be forced to worship God according to that state-established religion or federal government religion. Now, their professional craft also, as far as the charges, was regarding to conduct behavior and then training of masons. Also, the science of geometry pertaining to the science of, uh, uh, pertaining to science and math of architectural design, and then regal duty, and that was the instruction of royal protocol since most building requests came from monarchs. So these regulations, the old York constitutions and the old charges included those four areas. Now, as far as God and the religion part at that time, and this is a quote, every Mason shall cultivate brotherly love and the love of God in frequent holy church. And at every uh, meeting and assembly, pray heartily for all Christians. So even though the charges were updated from time to time, they had Christian overtones, even up until 1583, uh, some Masonic documents declared, quote, the might of the Father of heaven and the wisdom of the glorious Son through the grace and the goodness of the Holy Ghost, yet being three persons and one God be with us at our beginning. One charge of 1686 demanded that Masons, quote, be true men of God into the Holy Church. And then as late as 1722, a charge required that, quote, a Mason is obliged by his tenure to obey the moral law. And if he rightly understands the art, he will never be a stupid atheist nor an irreligious libertine, (laughs) which they have in parentheses is a morally unrestrained and ungodly person. Now, um, the recommended reading in a lot of the material and study that I did is from The Question of Freemasonry and the Founding uh, Fathers by David Barton, because I had heard a lot of different things on Freemasonry, and I just couldn't reconcile that with the Founding Fathers documents, their faith in God, not all of them, but a lot of them, and it just didn't make any sense. And so 
Um, one of the mottos of operative masonry, because that's those that actually work with stones, building cathedrals and other buildings, was uh, God is our guide. That's the oldest one in 1594. In the Lord is all of our trust. That was in 1688. Uh, also, the Grand Lodge of England motto was, in the beginning was the word and holiness uh, to the Lord. Now, by the 1600s and early 1700s, operative masonry was on the decline, and so they opened it up to carpenters and later other occupations, admitting them as honorary or, quote, non-working members. And this is about the time things started to go a little bit south, because new members included aristocrats, members of royal families, politicians, and other prominent individuals that wanted to rub shoulders with royalty, but they didn't have any real knowledge of operative masonry or even of the charges, uh, evolving into what has now become known as speculative masonry. Now, again, before we move on, let me say I'm not defending Freemasonry, but it's important to examine the root of anything, the origin, and it's also important to our discussion as far as our founding fathers and Masonry. Now, in 1717, four separate lodges of accepted or speculative Masons joined together, and they formed their first Grand Lodge and installed a Grand Master in this new form of Masonry. So remember, these are not operative stone Masons. They were the ones that were accepted, and they decided to create their own lodges. By 1723, these new Masons had developed their own standards to replace the old charges, and the first book was written by a Scottish Presbyterian, Reverend James Anderson, uh, known as Anderson's um, Constitution. Okay, so listen to what was in this. Um, I don't know why he was a reverend, because he was jacked in the head. Uh, it says, speculative masonry, which is but another um, name for Freemasonry, and it's modern, except acceptation may be briefly defined as a scientific application and the religious consecration of the rules and principles, the language, the implements, and materials of operative masonry to the vener veneration of God, the purification of the heart, and the inculcation of the dogmas of a religious philosophy. Speculative masonry or Freemasonry is in a system of ethics and must therefore, like all other ethical systems, have its distinct doctrines, uh, which many of them were unchristian by this time. These may be divided into three classes, namely the moral, the religious, which abandoned its Christian roots and instead embraced the pluralistic and pagan, and then the philosophical. So as it was being established, unbelievable claims were incorporated into the newly written works. For example, they trace its, uh, the origins of masonry back to Adam and that God had given Adam certain secrets related to masonry, that Adam had translated these secrets to his sons, and from that generation to the next, down through the history of the Bible, and finally on to the modern masons, those that had been involved in any type of construction in the Bible, so that'd be Noah, Solomon, Nehemiah, etc., were all master masons, and they knew the secrets of masonry. They even began to date their publications by their own calendar system, counting their years from Adam. So ostensibly, he was the first Mason and the founder of their organization rather than from the time of Christ. So a Masonic book was published in 1813, which actually showed the year 5813 on the title page. So what the Masons did is they just added 4,000 years to their current, to the current, uh, calendar year to establish the Demic calendar. 
uh, this uh, new movement or this movement of English speculative lodges a free and accepted order of ancient Masons began officially in 1717 and grew rapidly. By 1730, there were a uh, hundred speculative, speculative lodges in England, and then from there sprouted up different uh, paths and branches, and then the establishment of what has become known as today's uh, as today's Freemasonry. So. Uh, we'll get into um, Pike and, you know, um, I think it's Mackie and all that in a in a bit. But with this bit of information, let's move into the founding fathers. So for centuries, educators, statesmen, presidents, and judges have described America as a Christian nation until modern revisionists changed history and the intents and motives of our ancestors I have no problem looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I do have a problem with rewriting history to fit your narrative and not the facts. Now, again, it's not hard to understand the Bill of Rights, Constitution, nor our founding fathers because there's a copious amount of written letters and writings and books and, you know, um, discussions of the founding fathers, including in the official capacity as government officials. It's like people that try to make you think that, you know, understanding the Bible is difficult. It's not. Even the simple can understand the Bible. And people try to make it too hard to understand our founding documents, uh, too hard to understand. Therefore, people don't even pay attention. But of the 53 signers of the Declaration, um, some people say um, that, uh, I'm sorry, some people say that 53 signers of the Declaration of Masons, when the reality is that 50, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused for my own notes. <laughs> uh, some say that 53 signers of the Declaration were uh, Masons and that 50 of the 55 members of the Constitutional Conventions were Masons and that 98% of the Founding Fathers were Masons. And then um, it's like basically a who's who of the American Revolu- Revolu- Revolution being Masons. Now, this is a concern if true, because, you know, by the time America was founded and we began to um, declare our independence and fight Britain, uh, at this point, Freemasonry is definitely uh, anti-Christian. It's not compatible at all. So, for example, to the Mason, even at this time period, uh, Jesus existed, but he was a man like us. The truth is he is and was and will always be divine, and he's quite real. Masons believe that a Mason's religion must be universal and that he recognizes only light, not God's. But the Bible says Jesus is the only way to the Father, and he is truth. Uh, for Masons, God is man as man conceives him, but we know that God made man, not vice versa. They believe that literally believing the scriptures is for the vulgar. Good and evil can never be separated, but must mingle so that, quote, all may go well. And the absolute is reason. If God is, he is by reason. Now, we have a dilemma. I mean, if you take the original stats plus the beliefs, how could our founding fathers embrace beliefs absolutely opposed to Christian doctrine? 
Were they truly Masons or were they Christians? Which one is it? And if they were Masons, then the Masonic influence would be all over this nation and its establishment, and it's an unholy alliance. Me. Well, I had a do not disturb. My son uh, just now texted me, so if you heard that, I apologize. He's on one of those you know, lists that we all have in our phone where they can text or call you know, certain friends and family members, no matter if we're on do not disturb. Okay, so let's look at some of the ones they say were Masons. Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, uh, John Adams, James Madison, Charles Carroll, John Jay, Samuel Adams, and other prominent founding fathers. What if I told you that they were most definitely not Masons? Not only that, but historical documents prove this. They also prove that Freemasonry was not a significant influence in forming America and reputable historians who actually quote uh, first sources, even Masonic historians who've actually taken the time to investigate the claims by searching through actual records have confirmed these facts. For example, the Masonic Services Association of North America that specializes in research of original Masonic documents and then report historical facts have proved that much of today's, quote, pop culture information about the founding of fathers and masonry is false. And a lot of times people would try to connect the founding fathers with masonry, the masons would, just to give their um, their religion really is what it is, some street cred. Now, um, let's see here. Okay. Now, according to Masonic scholars, John Adams and Samuel Adams, Masonic tradition has permanent persistently claimed both Samuel Adams and his cousin, second cousin, John Adams, as members of the fraternity, 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 my goodness, but neither of them were Masons. And this is the conclusion of the authorities of the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. They also note that John Adams' own private writings declare he was never a Mason. In fact, John Adams is quoted as saying, I am not, never was, and never shall be a Freemason. And his son, John Quincy Adams, provided a detailed explanation of the reasons why his father never entered the Masonic organization. Uh, James Madison uh, himself resoundingly declared, I was never a Mason and no one perhaps could be more a stranger to the principles, rights, and fruits of the institution. And the um, there's no information located in any of the Mas- uh, Masonic fraternity historical documents that have him listed as a member. Thomas Jefferson was not a Freemason. And again, um, there's no records that he was. And in the millions of words he wrote and that are in print, there is no mention of him being a Mason. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, there's no evidence of his activity in or connection with the Masonic fraternity. Charles Carroll was definitely not a Freemason, even though uh, there were claims that he was in the movie National Treasure. Uh, The Massachusetts, and this is where all the information is coming from, Grand Lodge of Massachusetts AA, the MSA, um, emphatically says that Charles Carroll was not a member of the fraternity. And as a practicing Catholic, he closely observed um, papal pronouncements, which basically opposed, they were the f- fiercest opponents of Freemasonry. So if he would have been a Mason, he would have been excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Uh, John Jay was never a Mason. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, 
let's see here. Uh, signer of the Declaration, William Hooper, became a Freemason, but then the lodge of which he was a member ceased to exist, and then no other records have been found that he belonged uh, to any other lodge. Uh, James McHenry became a Fre- Freemason in May 21st, 1806, but his entry in the records is followed by the notation struck off 1809 after only three years of being in uh, the Freemasonry. And we'll dive more into who was and who wasn't, but, uh, and, and I kind of want to get into how different the first um, Freemasons were from the latter Freemasons, but most of the founders were not Masons. Many who were, such as Dickerson, Cooper, McHenry, were at best and active. Um, and so if a lot of them weren't Masons, then Freemasonry did not have the influence in their decisions that many say. So how many exactly were? So of those that signed the Declaration of Independence, um, only one in six or 16% could have been Freemasons. And then of the delegates to the Constitutional Convention that formed the U.S. Constitution, one in four or 25% could have been Freemasons. We can't confirm all of that. So it's a a generalized um, estimate of a number. Uh, these numbers represent the maximum number possible and not include not only inactive Masonic founders, but those uh, with inconclusive evidence of alleged uh, Masonic uh, activity. Okay, so basically, no, the founding fathers were not uh, dominantly Freemasons. And don't worry, we'll get into George Washington because it appears that there's a lot of evidence that he was uh, a Mason. And uh, you might be surprised at what you find out. Okay, now let's dive into another uh, key point, and that is the radically different beliefs and doctrine of Freemasonry compared to the original organization. And this always happens no matter the organization. Uh, Like, for example, American Methodism, that was founded in the uh, 1740s by John and Charles Wesley and then George Whitfield. And it was uh, characterized by numerous beliefs and practices that today would be anathema to you know, many uh, Methodist organizations, including how overtly evangelical they were at the time. I mean, they had camp meetings and uh, uh, revivals. I mean, Whitfield was a huge, the Wesleys were huge revivalists that, if I'm not mistaken, led to the first great awakening. They also would have what would be described today as emotionalism and fanaticism, even though that's not the case, but that's how it would be interpreted. So it's highly unlikely that any of them would be invited into most United Methodist churches today because of the doctrinal disagreements. Uh, now, I mean, if you look at the Episcopalians and Quakers, if you go back, their founders would be horrified by the fact that they now embrace pro-homosexual and pro-abortion positions. Those are anathema, uh, especially in their early days, but even to Christian doctrine today. Uh, so it always happens, you know, where, um, things change within organizations that become accepted that in the original founding would be considered horrible. So period one is the original American masonry. That's from the 1730s through the American Revolution until approximately 1813. Uh, It was an organization that not only adhered to, but even required 
Orthodox Christian doctrinal teachings as part of its practices. Now, um, after, let's see, 1813, you have period two, which is the corrupting of Masonic beliefs. And so there was a major shift in English Freemasonry in 1813, and a few lodges in American Freemasonry began to embrace the less Christian and more pluralistic belief systems during that time. But over in Europe, it was really going downhill quick. Then period three is what's considered Masonic demise. So by 1825, American Freemasonry had changed so dramatically, both in its spiritual and philosophical beliefs, that an organized national movement emerged against it. And it was led by prominent Christians in both the church and the state. The movement began as a result of an alleged Masonic murder of Captain William Morgan of Batavia, Batavia, New York, uh, following his announced uh, intent to publish a work exposing what uh, masonry had become. Well, he was murdered for it. (laughs) And it involved an intricate coordination first of masons who committed the deeds and then Masonic office holders and judges who refused to punish the Masonic perpetrators. And so it really uh, gained some momentum that it was a wicked uh, organization. And um, let's see, this guy, uh, William Wirt, the Attorney General of the United States during this time, he had become a Mason early in life, but later became an active crusader against it. He wrote, I continually regard Masonry as nothing more than a social and charitable club designed for the promotion of good feeling among its members and for the pecuniary relief of their indigent brethren. I have indeed thought very little about it for 30 years. But now, if this be masonry, as according to this uncontradicted evidence, it seems to be, I have no hesitation in saying that I consider it at war with the fundamental principles of the social compact as treason against society and a wicked conspiracy against the laws of God and man, which ought to be put down. And the movement, the anti-Masonic movement grew very rapidly and it uh, was unabated for a full decade. And the anti-Masonic movement almost became, or even became actually, an organized political party with many of them winning seats in the legislatures of like Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, governorships in Vermont. Um, And John Quincy Adams was actually an anti-Masonic member. So during this decade, the movement against masonry was the most intense. And there was a mass exodus of Christians from the lodges and their membership plummeted. But then we have a Masonic revival in period four. So by 1835, the national fervor of the anti-Masonic movement expended itself and they barely survived, you know, that, that decade. Uh, like in 1835, there were only 49 lodges in New York. By 1850, uh, uh, there were 172, and then 1860, there were uh, 432. So you can see that the growth began anew in the 40s and 50s under new leadership that was not only non-Christian, it was anti-Christian. And they established anti-Christian uh, preachings or practices and teachings that were quite frankly just blasphemous. Uh, one of the most influential in establishing 
this new Masonic philosophy during this period, they're considered the fathers of modern American Masonry were Albert Mackey and Albert Pike, which we'll get into. Um, And then period four, modern Masonry, this is the 20th century American Freemasonry, which it, it once again established respectability, widespread uh, respectability. Uh, There were several presidents that were Masons, Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Warren Harding, Franklin uh, Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Lyndon Johnson, and Gerald Ford. Uh, It doesn't mean, though, that the doctrines within Freemasonry changed at all. Um, the, you know, they had a, pu- a wholesome public image once again, but they still vigorously opposed Christianity. In fact, they had anti-Christian teachings and you could not be a Christian at all, uh, if you were a member of, uh, Freemasonry. Okay. So you can see that it definitely went downhill quick and, uh, rightfully so, a lot of people were against it for a time, but unfortunately they were able to revitalize it. Kind of like weeds. You know, you can put weed killer down and then next year you have weeds again. Uh, So when you compare the writings of the early years of Freemasonry, especially American Freemasonry, to later documents, you see an uncompromising Christian uh, nature. In fact, many of the writings have been removed because of that very reason that they were Christian in nature. Like for example, this was a guidebook, Masonic guidebook, uh, with a prayer in there for uh, use in American lodges. And it said, most holy and glorious Lord God, in thy name, we assemble and meet together, most humbly beseeching thee to bless us in all of our undertakings that we may know and serve you aright, that all our doings may tend to your glory and to the salvation of our souls. This we most humbly beg in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Okay, well, in uh, a modern, current Masonic guidebook, the Masonic Ritualist, it says, In a well-ordered lodge, Jesus is never mentioned except in vague philosophical terms. Prayers are never prayed in His name, and when scriptures are quoted in the ritual, all references to Him are simply omitted. Albert Mackey, after Albert Pike, the highest Masonic authority, calls this change in the scriptures a slight but necessary modification. Okay. So, wow. Um, let's see. Oh, and by the way, I found out the Shriners were a purely Islamic expression of Freemasonry and they're officially called the ancient Arabic order and nobles of the mystic shrine. And the practice goes on. I mean, uh, others said that, um, like a guy named, uh, the York Rite chaplain Harmon Taylor said he was, quote, given only one instruction, instruction was given that one many times. That directive was that he was never under any circumstances to offer prayers and Masonic gatherings in Jesus' name. Um, now, in 1749, you have where Charles Brockwell reminded a Masonic Lodge that whoever is an upright Mason can ne- neither be an atheist, a deist, or a libertine, for he is under the strictest obligation to be a true Christian. In 1775, William Hutchinson's Spirit of Freemasonry said, The Master Mason represents a man under the Christian doctrine, saved from the grave of iniquity and raised to the faith of salvation. As the great testimonial, we are risen from the state of corruption. We bear the emblem of the Holy Trinity as the ins- insignia of our vows. Um, another guy, uh, let's see. Oh. 
I don't see the name of the author, but in 1818, a Masonic work published that year in New York by Salem Town admonished American Freemasons to be bold in publicizing that the foundation is laid in an evangelical truth that says the scriptures of the the Old and New Testament are now received and acknowledged by all Christian nations to be given by divine inspiration. Hence, all Christendom quotes the authority of this book in all matters of religious faith and practice. To this also we appeal as a standard for the correctness and sanctity of our principles. Masonic faith acknowledges the Holy Bible to be the Word of God that was written by persons divinely inspired and reveals the whole duty of man. In 1818, uh, work uh, said, quote, Above all, it is not, neither can it be a secret that a good Mason is of necessity, truly, and uh, emphatically a Christian. I mean, it goes on and on. Reverend William Walter, who was the Grand Master of New York in 1793, presented a message that said, In conclusion, let me remind you, sirs, that you are Christians, particularly contemplate the adorable Jesus that appointed mediator, the great pattern of human perfection, and tread in his steps. Add, therefore, to your faith knowledge, temperance, patience. To these add godliness, and to godliness universal clarity. For if these things be in you and abound, they will evince or prove that you are not barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So these are, again, early American lodges that openly promoted Christian Principles. I mean, it's over and over, just one thing after another until uh, uh, Pike and Mackey. Um, And these weren't nominal Christians either. You know what I mean? Like these people followed uh, Jesus very uh, um, seriously. Uh, Let's see. So if, if you're an honest researcher then you see that early Freemasonry was a Christian organization, which can explain why a lot of Masons will say, no, we were, we're a Christian organization. Uh, it wasn't until um, the post-anti-Masonic movement of 1826 that things just really went anti-Christian. Now, why was Jesus downgraded in 1813? Well, in that year, the English Grand Lodge, which is the mother of all the American lodges, decided in favor of the admission of individuals of others, other faiths. So the emphasis of a Christian God was removed and replaced with a new emphasis on a, a general, more universal and all-inclusive, uh, you know, faiths. Uh, sound familiar? But we also have the doctrines and the definite demonic aspect of Mackey and Pike. Uh, let's see here. I think that's all I want to go through as far as, um, that section. Now, as revealed, uh, and Mackey agreed, American and even Great Britain Freemasonry were very different from European masonry. In 1798, a professor, John Robinson, who was a scientist and extensive contributor to the 18th century Encyclopedia Britannica, wrote the following in his work, Proofs of Conspiracy Against All the Religions and Governments of Europe, a work exposing the efforts of the Illuminati through European Masonic lodges. Uh, He said, The order abjures Christianity and refuses... admission into the higher degrees to all who had adhered to any of the three confessions of Christianity. 
Sensual pleasures were restored to the rank they held in the Epicurean philosophy. Self-murder, suicide was justified on stoical, uh, sto- stoical, stoical <laughs> principles. In the lodges, death was declared in eternal sleep. Patriotism and loyalty were called narrow-minded prejudices and incompatible with universal benevolence. Continual declamations were made on liberty and equality as the inalienable rights of man. The baneful influence of accumulated uh, property, in other words, private property ownership, was declared as insurmountable obstacle to the happiness of any nation. Now you start seeing not only anti-Christian, but anti-American philosophies. And in fact, these philosophies were behind much of the bloody French Revolution, its widespread anarchy, which was basically, we want a nation without God, revolution without God, where we had revolution because of uh, God. And so Robinson's work was reprinted in New York and Philadelphia, shortly thereafter also in Boston on May 9th, uh, 1798. And then we have a Reverend Jedediah Morris who delivered a sermon to a statewide gathering of Freemasons in which he, impelled by Robinson's work, he announced that the European Illuminati had infiltrated America and they were seeking to overthrow her religious and political institutions. And so this announcement did not go unnoticed and it wasn't taken lightly because he was a well-known, respected national leader and his alarm spread throughout the country and that's when other prominent uh, ministers begin to pick it up. Um, now let's see here. Uh, hang on. Oh, on November 29th, 1798, six months after Morse's sermon in which he warned of the Illuminati coming to America, he preached a second one. He offered some verification of his thoughts, although a lot of it was hearsay. He said, the probable existence of Illuminism in this country was asserted in my last discourse of May last. The following fact related by the very respectable divine, while it confirms what is above asserted, shows that my apprehensions were not without foundation. In the northern part of this state, which was Massachusetts, as I am well informed, there has lately appeared and still exists under a licentious leader, a company of beings who discard the principles of religion and the obligations of morality, trample on the bonds of matrimony, the separate rights of property, and the laws of civil society, spend the Sabbath in labor and diversion as fancy dictates, and the nights in riotous excess and promiscuous concubinage as lust impels. Their number consists of about 40, some of whom are persons of reputable abilities and one once of decent characters. The society of this description should be formed in this land of civilization and gospel light is an evidence that the devil is at this time gone forth having great influence as well as great wrath. Okay, now some Americans, they couldn't find any evidence of these conspiracies. Uh, but I personally believe that that was definitely the case. Um, let's see here. What else do I want to get into? Um, now, when you look at Morris's writings, what you find is he did not question American Freemasonry. He was going after the European formation that was totally antithetical to uh, Christianity. 
and brought attention to the Illuminati in European Masonic lodges, and they feared that it was going to duplicate itself in America. Now, I find it quite ironic that a lot of the beliefs of the European Masons is now the globalist beliefs and what they're trying to push in our own country, even among our own government officials. Now, one of those who wondered about the anti-Christian properties of uh, European Freemasonry and infiltrating um, American was a Reverend G.W. Snyder of Fredericksburg, Maryland. He was an immigrant who wrote directly to George Washington expressing his apprehensions. So he explained to him, he said, I am German and I came to this country in 1776 and felt soon after my arrival a close attachment to the liberty. I am attached both from the bent of education and mature inquiry and search the simple doctrines of Christianity, which I have the honor to teach in public, and I do heartily despise all the cavils, which are uh, fr- frivolous uh, objections designed to look genuine, of infidelity, those who d- disbelieve the scriptures and Christianity. It was some time since that a book fell into my hands, Proofs of the Conspiracy by John Robison, who gives a full account of the Society of Freemasons Freemasons that distinguishes itself by the name of Illuminati, whose plan is to overthrow all government and all religion, even natural, and whose endeavor to eradicate every idea of a supreme being and distinguish man from beast by his shape only. Interesting, huh? Where we came from apes, right? A thought suggested itself to me that some of the lodges in the U.S. might have caught the infection. Upon serious reflection, I was led to think that it might be within your power to prevent this horrid plan from corrupting the brethren of the English lodge over which you preside. So even back then, people thought that Washington was a a mason. Well, a month later, he responded. He said, I have heard much of the nefarious and dangerous plan and doctrines of the Illuminati, but never saw the book until you were pleased to send it to me. Thanks for your kind wishes and favorable sentence, sentiments, except to correct an error. Now, these are Washington's own words that you have run into, and that is my presiding over the English lodges in this country. The fact is, I preside over none, nor have I been in one more than once or twice within the last 30 years. I believe, notwithstanding, that none of the lodges in this country are contaminated with the principles ascribed to the Society of the Illuminati. With respect, I am, sir, your uh, obedient, humble servant, George Washington. So notice his strong exertion, assertion that he not only was not involved in masonry, but he'd only been in a, a, a lodge like one or two times, which we'll get into uh, later. But radical anti-masons love to herald him as a poster child of masonry to prove their claim that America was founded by cultic leaders and therefore uh, could not have involved Christian principles. And there's even an early picture showing Washington presiding over a Virginia lodge, which is a complete myth. Okay. So, and I'll get to that um, in a second. Now, so a month lapsed before Washington penned his reply to Snyder, And so he was still concerned about it. So he wrote a second, even more fervent uh, letter to the president. And then he finally got um, President Washington's letter. But he said in the second letter, I have since been more confirmed in the ideas I had suggested to you concerning an order of men who in Germany have distinguished themselves by the names of Illuminati, German Union, reading societies, and in France by that of the Jacobin Club, 
that the same are now existing in the United States, by the way. It also occurred to me that you might have had ideas to that purport when you disapproved of the meetings of the Democrat societies, which appeared to me to be a branch of that order, though many members may be uh, entirely ignorant. Now, um, that's kind of interesting. The Democratic societies, they were behind the 1794 Whiskey Rebellion against which um, the American military had to suppress an insurrection uh, by fellow Americans. So Washington believed that these were behind that. Um, now, whether it's tied to the Democrat Party or things like that, I have no idea. Um, now, he finally received President Washington's um, you know, letter, but he specifically pointed to the anarchical and seditious spirit that showed itself in the United States. And um, Washington responded to his second and third letters telling him, it is not my intention to doubt that the doctrines of the Illuminati and principles of Jacobinism have not spread in the United States. On the contrary, no one is more fully satisfied in, on this fact than I am. The idea I meant to convey is that I did not believe that the lodges of Freemasons in this country had, as societies, endeavored to propagate the diabolical tenets of the first or the pernicious principles of the latter. That individuals of them may have done it and that the founder of instrument employed to found the Democratic Societies of the United States may have these objects and actually had a separation of the people from their government in view is too evident to be questioned. So basically... If you look, both of them are discussing the dangers of this European Freemasonry and that it might corrupt the American Freemasonry, which was based on Christian principles. Um, and, and a lot of other ministers or ministers were also uh, concerned about this. Now, the French and Germans rejected religion in general and Christianity in particular, while Americans cherished and embraced it. So, the French government, they led a, quote, campaign of de-Christianization that led the, to the closing of all churches in France. And like I've discussed in previous uh, episodes, if there was any inkling among the colonists that this was uh, the revolution was not a Christian endeavor, they wouldn't have subscribed to it. In fact, the Black Robe Regiment is one to listen to because the preachers were the ones that— um, basically kicked off the Revolutionary War. Now, George Washington, in his farewell address of September 17, 1796, succinctly attacked the beliefs that characterized the French, reminding Americans of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness— the mere politician ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert? And let us, with caution, indulge the supposition that morality may be t maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of re refined educational minds, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. You can just look around and see that exactly what he said is truth. Okay, so what about George Washington? I've already referenced the one painting of him being over the lodge in Virginia, which was a complete myth. There's also other paintings of him in full Masonic regalia and at a Masonic lodge. So 
Uh, let's get into that just a little bit. So remember, from Washington's own words, he said, you are in error. I need to correct an error. I do not preside over any lodges in this country. Um, was he an, inact- an, an inactive nominal Mason? Well, there's been an investigation of his Masonic activities. A William Adrian Brown, former librarian at George Washington Masonic Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia, compiled a chronological list of George Washington's life activities in his book, When and Where, A Chronology of the Life of George Washington. Uh, Brown identifies 29 Masonic activities that involved Washington during his 47 years of supposedly being a Freemason. Significantly, many of the activities and contacts in that list were neither initiated nor participated in by Washington, and then several others hardly even represent Masonic business. So, for example, included among the 29 are occasions when memorabilia was sent to Washington by other Freemasons, as well as greetings were extended to him by groups of Masons, which, I mean, he obviously received a score of gifts from people, right? Right. Among the events linked to masonry were public events where Washington was present at which some masons were in attendance among the crowd, such as his inauguration and public parades. Moreover, um, among the Masonic activities linked to Washington were Masonic events which Washington wasn't even there, such as on four occasions when various lodges from other states recommended him as Grand Master a position that he declined in each case, so they named him honorary members. Now, the ones that he actually participated in are very few. Uh, They include Washington's first becoming a Mason at the age of 20, which was November 4th, 1752, followed by two more Masonic meetings over the next 10 months, March 3rd and August 4th, 1753, where he completed the three steps of early American Freemasonry. Uh, some American Masons condemned higher degrees as being representative of European Freemasonry. He took no higher degrees. He also, as a young Washington, attended two more lodge meetings on September 1st and January 4th of 53 and 55. And then the other one didn't occur until 23 uh, years later in the American Revolution when on December 28th, 1778, he was part of a Masonic parade that marched to Christ Church to attend divine service. Now remember, at this point, Freemasonry in America is a uh, uh, Christian-founded or um, organized around belief system. Uh, during the Revola- Revolution, Washington took part in six other Masonic activities or parades. Following it, he attended a lodge meeting on June 24, 1784, and then February 3, 1785, where he attended the funeral of a, ma- a Mason. He attended no Masonic activities after April 1789, except the laying of the cornerstone of the Capitol in September of 1793. So in 47 years of being a Freemason, based on the documentation from Masonic authority William Adrian Brown, Washington participated actively in only 14 genuinely Masonic meetings or activities, therefore confirming his statement that he has not presided over any lodges, nor has he been in one uh, except once or twice in the last 30 years. Now, the misrepresentation of him being a, a Mason is aggravated by numerous paintings depicted of him in full Masonic clothing. 
and symbolism, such as the one where he's laying the cornerstone in the chapel or in the Capitol. Uh, You can enter the Masonic House of the Temple in Washington, D.C. and see a beautiful painting of Washington in Masonic dress laying that cornerstone. But the painting, which also is on the cover of the book that I'm referring to, um, is a modern creation. It was done in 1993 rather than 1793 when the cornerstone was actually laid. Um, The modern portrait is excellent art. Art, but it's nothing more than the imaginative historical work of John Melius, an art professor and 33, uh, 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemason from uh, Maryland. Okay, so these are romanticized pieces of propaganda. Okay, so depictions of the first, uh, according to the uh, mural and description by the architect of the Capitol, depictions of the first cornerstone ceremony are necessarily the product of the artist's imaginations. No visual record of the event is available as the guide. This mural shows a cornerstone about to be lowered on a prepared foundation in contradiction of contemporary documents that indicate the stone was placed on the ground. Much of what, what was depicted in the paintings is fallacious, and there are many different Washington, the Mason portraits, those paintings of Washington and his Masonic regalia, which practically all Masons believe were painted from life are spurious. Ask any honest historian, including honest Masonic historians, and they will tell you that Washington never sat or stood for any such portrait. Those paintings on lodge walls are apocryphal painted after Washington's death. Why? Because they want to connect him you know, our first president to the Masonic Lodge to give them, again, street cred. Let's see. So they just want to capitalize on his nominal memberships. Because, again, he joined when he was in his 20s, but he wasn't an active uh, Mason uh, on the level that we would expect. Not only that, again, it was very different from the later uh, Masonry that we know of uh, today. Also, military lodges, because he did go to those quite a bit to uh, encourage his soldiers, they were actually um, basically a place for generals to get with his men and, you know, hang out with them. And they come from the British Army. That's where they they, uh, brought that practice over from, but they weren't necessarily Masonic Lodge meetings. It was just where commanders would meet with their men. Uh, now, as far as American symbolism and things like that, um, the uh, history, if you are honest with it, demonstrates that Illuminati never took hold in America and that the organization and its beliefs were actively opposed by American founders. Yet, there is a persistent um, you know, lie that keeps being set, you know, propagated in this country that they did. And that, in fact, a lot of the symbolism that we have in this country comes from um, uh, Illuminati. Okay, so here's some examples. The physical layout of D.C. The spirit of Freemasonry has been guiding our nation's direction ever since 1776, and this guidance was solidified in 1792 by incorporating Freemasonry symbols into the very street structure of government center. The intent of L'Enfant and our founding fathers from the beginning of our country was to deliberately design government center according to Freemasonry principles. These forefathers embedded Masonic symbols and customs in the layout of our buildings. The the city of Washington, D.C. was laid out in the form of key Masonic symbols, the square, the compass, the rule, and the pentagram. So basically, guys, I mean, you know, again, this book... It goes into all of the symbolism and stuff, but 
like if you um, believe the above thesis that I just quoted, um, that in 1791, when the founders laid out this city, they did it with Masonic symbols and a pentagram anchored to the five specific locations. Well, the problem is that several of the key locations in the pentagram weren't planned nor built until a century after the founders. Okay. Um, street map, again, pentagram. The uh, Jefferson Memorial is a key to the imagined Masonic symbolism. The city wasn't built until 1943. So when you go through a lot of the symbolism and a lot of the things that people say are Masonic, they weren't even built during the Founding Fathers and didn't even exist. And some would even be in the middle of water at that time. So, you know, again, propaganda. We have to be really careful of not believing propaganda. I like the uh, scripture in Isaiah. Let me see if I can find it because I'm running out of time to get into all the symbolism and stuff. But in Isaiah 8, 11, it says, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. So even though there's a bunch of claims, historical documentation unequivocally proves that neither the city plan of Washington, D.C., nor America's government symbols were Masonic. They were largely the work of non-Masonic founders, and even for the few Masonic founders involved in the planning, early American Freemasonry considered itself an ally, not an enemy of Christianity. Like even the, um, the pyramid... The unfinished pyramid signifies strength and duration, and the eye was actually um, a general representation of God to a strongly Trinitarian uh, statement, but the evidence is that the uh, all-seeing eye was a representative of Almighty God. So, uh, you know, and I'll I'll admit, it looks a little bit crazy, you know, some of the stuff that they've got um, in these uh, symbols, but... When you read their actual words and their actual documents and the reasons behind a lot of the symbolism, they were by um, Christians and they had specific purposes that we've now assigned demonic things to. And so um, the two individuals most influential in the recovery and building of Freemasonry into what it is today, uh, antithetical uh, to Christianity, um, anti-Christ in nature, was Albert Mackey and Albert Pike. Their writings were filled with beliefs and practices that were heretical to Christianity, and but unfortunately it breathed new life and spirit into the floundering institution. Now Mackey was born in South Carolina where he became a Freemason, and he witnessed the anti-Masonic fervor that swept across the nation in the 30s, but he maintained his membership He gave up his chosen profession of medicine and devoted his full attention to rebuilding Freemasonry and eventually became the Grand Master of the United States, which is the head of all of the uh, uh, lodges. And he also became the Supreme Council of the 33rd Degree. And, uh, I mean, basically that's like a Masonic Medal of Honor. He was the most prolific Masonic writer. His first work was in 1845. And then there's been an endless stream of his works until his death in 1881. He goes into like the mystic tie, principles of Masonic law, etc. He definitely had pagan spiritual interests, and those things come out in his 
uh, writings. And then Albert Pike, the second of the Masonic uh, Resurrection Giants, was born in Boston, but he moved to Arkansas where he became a journalist and an attorney, one of the richest actually in the country. He became active and he rose rapidly, being selected as a sovereign grand commander of the Southern Jurisdiction of Scottish Rite Freemasonry in 1859. Uh, Shortly after his selection, the Civil War erupted and he became a Confederate general. And then after the war, he moved to D.C. And he also devoted himself to building the Scottish Rite into what it is today. In fact, D.C. is the home of the southern jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite, the world's largest of the uh, Scottish Rite organization. His magnum opus was Morals and Dogmas, which he wrote in 1871, where he goes into the degrees from the 4th to the 32nd. He provides also his philosophical basis, his framework. He bestowed titles on several of the higher degrees, like the 5th degree is a perfect master, Prince of Jerusalem is 16th, Chief of Tabernacle is uh, 23rd, on and on and on. Um, The 32nd, he calls the sublime prince of the royal secret. And it's in these degree rituals that Pike openly embedded pagan and pluralistic teachings, mixing them with elements of the occult and spiritual mysticism, which is where a lot of the open anti-Christian beliefs of Freemasonry come into play here in America. Pike claimed that American Freemasonry was a direct receiver of the teaching of the Gnostics, Druids, Essenes, Kabbalah, and numerous other long-dead cults, ancient movements against which entire books of the New Testament were written, like Ephesians and Colossians. For 36 years, Pike's work was given to every entrant into the Scottish Rite Masonry. Even today, it's still recommended to read his uh, writings. Okay, so John Hancock was a Freemason of American Freemasonry. He was also the son and grandson of a famous gospel minister. Uh, Richard Stockton, a signer of the Declaration, was a Freemason. Um, But again, it was uh, pre-demonic. John Dickinson, who helped draft the uh, Declaration of Independence and a signer of the Constitution, was also a Freemason. Robert Treat Payne. Um, the, uh, signer of the Declaration of Independence was also a Freemason. He, uh, left a clear written record of his faith, uh, journey as a Christian. James McHenry was also a signer of the Constitution and a Freemason, but also the president and founder of the Baltimore Bible Society. Uh, there's several quotes of his faith. Uh, Gunning Bedford, a signer of the Constitution, was not a free, uh, was not only a Freemason, but he's also the Grand Master of the Grand Lodge. Um, He was also a close friend of George Washington, and he also um, openly proclaimed his Christianity. Uh, Francis Scott Key, uh, often identified as a Freemason, um, often identified as one. He's the author of the National Anthem and the uh, Star-Spangled Banner. He was also a Christian. Benjamin Franklin definitely was never claimed to be a Christian. Um, And uh, there's... uh, some, um, good grief, um, some evidence that he was a Mason and he was also, um, for religion because he knew that would keep a country, uh, safe from extinction because it's important to have morals. Um, some tried to get him born again before he died and he didn't see any need. Um, again, we've gone over Washington and his, um, 
affiliation with the Masons. So those are some that were. I just wanted to include those because, you know, I didn't want to just say no, 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 and then not acknowledge the ones that are very uh, famous that were. So I hope this gives you more of an understanding of what was going on during that time, the differences between American Freemasonry, European, the different uh, segments in history that Masonry went through, as well as the European influence, the Illuminati, and uh, Albert Pike, and then Mackey. Now, uh, I again recommend reading The Question of Freemasonry and the Founding Fathers by David Barton. I'm going to finish with good news. The good news is that our current president, President Biden, Biden, uh, is doing such a fabulous job at failing as a president that even long-term Democrats and even people that are anti-Christian and anti-Republican are figuring it out. So I am mad at both parties because I think there's sellouts in the Republican as much and uh, rhinos. Um actually too much, but I am conservative and my main key in voting is, do they believe in killing babies? But the good news is people are starting to wake up. Until next time. Thank you.